Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please note that this episode includes discussion of depression and suicide. Please be advised. Hello and welcome to the Vivo Wellness Podcast. My name is Jarrell. I'm Rachel. Thank you for joining us. We have a guest with us today for the first time in a little while. I think the pandemic threw that off for a bit. I actually can't even remember the last time we had someone here with us. So we're excited. Um, This is a friend of ours. So it's even better because basically we're just having a conversation with a friend. We just needed, you know, like a fun work excuse to do it. (laughs) So please welcome Theodora Blanchfield to the Viva Wellness Podcast. Hi, Theodora. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for joining us. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience, who you are, what you do, or any helpful information that you want everyone to know? Sure. So um, I'm about to talk about some really vulnerable stuff, but actually introducing myself is way harder than that. Yeah, Mm. I agree. Anytime someone's like, tell me about yourself, I'm like, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I hate introducing myself, but I'll give it a try. (laughs) Um, So my name is Theodora Blanchfield. Um, I am a writer and social media consultant living in LA. Um, And I am also a therapist in training. I'm in grad school at Antioch. which is now all online because we're in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will, in several years, be a licensed therapist. Um, I have written a lot about mental health, my own, and reporting on mental health, and written a lot about grief after losing my mom, which I'm sure I will get into later. Um, my career has kind of been lucky and able that my career has been able to kind of follow my interests. Um, I started off in journalism in DC. I don't know if you guys knew that I was a political reporter in the beginning of my career. I Um, did know that. You did not like it. I didn't know. I did. I did not (laughs) like it. I was very burnt out. Political reporters. Right. I was very burnt out. And certainly in this political climate, Mm -hmm. I am very happy to not be doing that. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Then... I moved to New York and wanted to get into more lifestyle stuff and started working for a legal magazine. So didn't do so well with that. Um, But when I was there, I was also trying to lose 50 pounds. So I started a blog then called Losing Weight in the City. And I knew I wanted to work in digital or social media. So I always took it kind of seriously so that I could put it on my resume and be like, hey, I grew this blog from X to Y. Therefore, I, I can do that for you. So I worked in media, worked for a couple brands, and then ultimately went on to work for a company called Daily Burn, where I ran their social media for four years. And if you're not familiar with Daily Burn, it is a streaming fitness company. Um, And it was really honestly kind of my dream job for a while. I was like that huge dork who used the product before I even worked there. Um, And then I got laid off in 2017. And I'd been kind of looking to transition away from there anyway, four years. I feel like in like these days is an eternity to stay at a job, mm-hmm. uh, especially in media, especially in media. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was definitely, I was already looking for a change and um, you know, I figured at the time that I would try my hand at freelancing. I, you know, like I said, I started my career in journalism, then I transitioned to social media and I was, really missing writing. So started doing that. And, you know, while it was definitely enjoyable in some ways, I realized that my heart wasn't entirely in it. Um, So then I started grad school. Which I have to say, I give you all the credit in the world. And I don't know why I actually didn't make this connection with your school being remote until just now. You're doing all your experiential classes, like role-playing therapy and all of that online. Yes. Yes. Madness. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, I can't even imagine. I was terrified for that. I mean, I was terrified for the role-playing in general. Mm -hmm. I was, like, especially terrified with it being virtual. But my therapist is in New York. So I've been personally doing teletherapy for a year. So like being in a therapeutic situation virtually like wasn't that weird for me so Mm. that makes sense that's helpful like a good 
um, side effect of teletherapy that you didn't know you'd ever have to use because right. we would have known that we would have not been able to see other humans. Yeah. Right. Have jokes. Um, so <laughs> you have definitely experienced a really wide ranging career journey and you've done all these things and now you're entering an entirely I almost want to say like third career because political reporting and I know <laughs> writing are actually two really different things, even if they're both in media. So right. we'll call this your third career. How has your own mental health experience and journey gotten weaved into this? Cause I know this is something you write about often and you're very open about it. So how does that play into everything that you've experienced both career wise and, you know, just life in general? Yeah. Do you want me to kind of like, talk through my journey a little bit yeah we'll interrupt you if we have questions or you know okay. random side comments but your story is awesome so let's just just start talking and then you know we'll see where it goes <laughs> okay sure so i um you know didn't have a particularly traumatic childhood i was pretty lucky had a yes you know, so i didn't didn't struggle with any kind of mental illness growing up um in 2012 i had a boss from hell which I think we've all had at some point. It's like a lot of people will relate to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Probably everyone can relate to that, unfortunately. Um, But I am a total perfectionist. And she basically was telling me that my work wasn't good enough. And I started having panic attacks because basically I wasn't being perfect. Mm. Um, And also kind of looking back on that, I had a ton on my plate at the time that at the time I thought was just normal to be doing all of the things. And I think like just that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. So I started having a lot of panic attacks then. Um, That was the first time I started seeing a therapist regularly. Um, I, when I moved to New York, I was 25 and I was living at home at first and all my friends were starting to get married and were like pretty at the time, it felt pretty established in their career. Saying that at 37, thinking at 25, they were pretty established in their career <laughs> sounds really funny. But uh-huh. at the time, it definitely felt that way. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, we all thought that at a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. That whatever we were, wherever age space or life space we were in, it was like, oh my God, all these people are doing awesome. And then looking back on the same people, yeah. five, 10 years later, we're like, yeah, yeah no, that was not so, so much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But so I like, I guess I don't, I had a hard, a hard time with the transition of moving to New York and just kind of feeling like I was starting over when it felt like at the time that everyone else had their lives together. Um, so I saw a therapist for a couple of sessions then, but it was also my mom's therapist, which I think is also like, now that I'm taking ethics classes, probably a big conflict of interest. <laughs> That's true. I'm trying to yeah. like, all in my head of like, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, because like personally, my thought was, my first thought was like, oh, well with the right people, that would be fine. But then I'm like, oh, I don't know that I would want to go to the therapist as my mom. So about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. So anyway, I'd been in therapy then and I was also bullied as a kid and like went to therapy then, but therapy as a child is very different. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, so I started seeing a therapist regularly then and um, it was, incredibly helpful and that was I think when I really first started believing how transformative therapy and a good therapist can be um you know but it was it felt pretty situational at the time um and then I got fired from that job which was like one of the biggest blessings in disguise Mm. um and that was actually a blessing. And I feel like you don't usually know at the time that's a blessing in disguise, but I was like, yes, this, this will be good. Like mm-hmm. this is hell. Like I'm happy to not be here. Yeah. I think um, that's one of the first life lessons that we can take away from what, you know, I obviously know you and know some of at least what you're going to say, but I feel like that's life lesson number one of many to come of that. Even if you think you're in this God awful situation right now or circumstances that, might be something that you look back on and you say, wow, that was actually the best thing that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Really glad yeah. that the whole thing occurred because now I'm in such a better place. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so started a new job after that. Like I said, Daily Burn was like kind of my dream job, but I still had 
a ton of anxiety. Um, I mean, I think like not clinically PTSD now that I've read the DSM, but like mm. definitely like some kind of like PTSD of like afraid I was going to get fired again, afraid I wasn't doing a good enough job, all of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I realized the dissonance of the fact that like I was at this job where intellectually I knew that I was, I knew I was doing a good job. I knew my coworkers liked me. I knew my boss liked me, but I just couldn't reconcile that with the feelings of not feeling that way. Mm -hmm. So I started seeing a therapist again, then Um, I ended up seeing her for about four years. So it started, I started seeing her about anxiety and then as the anxiety kind of started resolving, I started feeling more depressed, which she told me is actually pretty common. Um, and it's, I kind of started feeling depressed around the holidays. And at the time I chalked it up to like, oh, maybe this is kind of like seasonal blues and maybe like six or seven months went on and I was still feeling that way. And I wasn't feeling like myself. And I feel like Rachel, you'll understand this part. Um, I had an injury and I couldn't run. Yeah. And running was and is like my number one coping skill. So like that was finally the push that I needed to um, see a psychiatrist and talk about taking an antidepressant because it Mm -hmm. like, I just, I couldn't cope anymore. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the push I needed. So that was 2015. Um, Then my mom got diagnosed with cancer like six months after that. And looking back, like this feels weird to say, but like, I'm kind of grateful that that all happened too. Like I was already in therapy. I was mm-hmm. already on medication because then this huge thing happened. And at least yeah. I guess I had the right support in place. I, I guess that's the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, 2015, my mom passed away in July of 2017 um in 2017 was what I hope will be like the worst year of my life like I don't know how another year could be worse even this um I guess I don't jinx myself um I was actually because I'm thinking I'm like you could be set on fire that's probably about it right that's true I mean the world is a dumpster fire right now so but like weird hypotheticals and like I'm prefacing this because (laughs) I obviously you know have an idea of what your 2017 was but yeah I feel like you know for all to build the arc for everyone listening like it wasn't good (laughs) the weird hypotheticals I feel like are the only way that you might have thrown in like well you know the example I use with clients is like someone always has it worse you could have cancer and then there's someone with cancer and a broken leg and it feels like something that ridiculous would right right (laughs) Um, but yeah so my mom passed away. My mom and I were best friends. I'm an only child. So, I mean, it was just, and I'm adopted. So it was just a very, very, very close, intense relationship. Um, I also got laid off from said dream job. I had to give up my dog mm-hmm. and I had a breakup. Cause like, like why not? Cause why not? Why there? not all the right. things? Let's just yeah, have all the say, tragedies. What's, what's not... A trifecta is three. What is right. four? Is that a thing? Know. Just bad. Right. Yeah. Okay. I feel like there's not a word because usually people are like, oh, bad things happen in threes. They don't right. count when things happen. Right. right. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was a good time is what you're saying. Yeah. 2017 was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2017 was great. Um, and not shockingly, I, can I curse? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not shockingly, I was pretty fucking depressed after that. Mm-hmm. You don't say. <laughs> Weird. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I, like, like I said, I struggled with depression before my mom got sick, but like looking at that depression versus the level I felt after my mom got sick, like they don't even compare. Like, mm. I've said about how I felt depressed before my mom died of like, oh, that's so cute. I would like, I would love to be that level of depressed again. Like, Mm. that's really cute. Um, But I, I mean, things got really bad. I had been struggling with suicidal ideation 
kind of when it started looking like my mom was going to die. I mean, I just couldn't imagine a world without her and quite frankly, didn't want to live in a world Mm. without her. Um, You know, but I had been, I felt able to manage those thoughts through therapy and, um, you know, telling my friends and until I couldn't. And there was this one night that there was just this weekend where trigger after trigger after trigger happened. And I went home and I had already had a couple glasses of wine and I took a handful of pills and, um, my depression caused me to do that, but my anxiety saved me because I was like, well, no, I don't actually want to die. Mm. Um, so I called a friend and I asked her to take me to the hospital. Um, and I ended up checking myself into the psych ward for a week. Wow. That must've been one of, if not the scariest experiences ever. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like I remember as much as I can of the, I mean, I I don't entirely remember the experience, but Mm. I remember crying on my friend's lap in the cab. Um, You know, I remember getting to the hospital and making her get into the hospital bed with me and snuggle because I was so scared. Uh, And then, you know, they held me overnight to observe me. And then the next morning they were like, well, like we suggest you might want to be admitted. And I mean, I had no idea what to do with that. And a few of my friends were there with me. And one of my friends was crying and she told me how worried she was about me. And she's like, look, I know you've tried a lot over this past year, but like you haven't tried this and maybe this will be helpful. And I was like, okay. Like, and at the time I was doing it for the people in my life who cared about me, like not for myself. Like I couldn't see at the time that like I deserved to do that for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. It's like seeing through this really thick fog, right? Of that, you, it almost sounds like you cognitively knew it's what was best for you, but it couldn't resonate with you. It just resonated with you that people you love were hurting and asking you to. And so you could much more easily hang on to that as a reason than anything having to do with yourself. 150% yes Mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes that's what you like sometimes that's what we need it's like when we're in those moments like it's it's hard to see right and it's hard to feel that there's a reason for this next step and sometimes you do have to do it for other people maybe that's the bridge that you need and I mean obviously thankful that you had those people there for you because it it set you on a, a different path Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, so I learned then this was, you know, at like a, a general hospital in New York, like not a psychiatric hospital, it was as psych ward in a regular hospital. And I learned kind of after the fact that like the purpose for being a hospitalization like that is not really to help you much, but more to Mm -hmm. just make sure that like you're, you're safe and you're stable. Um, you know, and so then afterwards they were like, oh, you might want to look into an IOP, which I don't remember that's intensive outpatient program. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I don't think I needed that. Like, I think this is just like the scare I needed and like, Mm. I'll be okay. Like I can manage on my own, but you know, I think they like, cliche but like if nothing changes nothing changes yeah and a little less than a year later I found myself back in the same spot I mean literally same hospital Sunday Sunday night same Sunday night Mm. um literally same room like it was wow very much groundhog day wow Mm -hmm. yeah that's crazy that it's literally like when you're in the same spot both metaphorically but also actually literally in the same spot I feel like probably made the whole experience that much more impactful like wow 
I'm actually back Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, like same was in like, I guess the room they use for observation. It's like a, a kid's room. There's like crazy stuff painted on the ceiling. Like because it was late at night, they didn't have a psychiatrist on staff there to do an evaluation. So it was like over a video literally same thing but so they asked that if I wanted to be hospitalized and then understanding what the purpose of that I was like no like I don't want to do this again to like for nothing really Mm -hmm. um but I knew that something had to change and that I was just so fucking sick of feeling that way um and it was funny there was a friend of mine who the first time she and her mom were there and they were like, Oh, maybe you want to look into like going away somewhere and going to some inpatient program. And I was like, no, I don't think I need that. And my psychiatrist and I had talked about it over that year. And I was like, I don't know. And of course, in retrospect, like I wish it hadn't to come, had to come back to where it did in order for that to happen. But, um, So I ended up checking myself into um, an inpatient facility in San Diego. Um, So I was still living in New York at the time. Um, But I knew it was winter in New York. And I was like, if I'm already feeling really depressed, like, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be somewhere where like, I'm going to be locked in. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to be somewhere like gray and snowy like i was gonna ask if there was a particular reason besides san diego just being great but that's such amazing insight that you had in a crisis right that's true that's true Mm -hmm. right like to be able to say something that you know when you look at it objectively you're like oh of course like why wouldn't you want to be on a beautiful beach and for anyone who hasn't been to san diego you should go (laughs) immediately because it's gorgeous yeah versus you know gray snowy potentially winter mm-hmm. but when you're in the middle of a crisis the fact that you were able to even just think of that is like super impressive and probably was really helpful in retrospect mm-hmm. oh my god so helpful I mean like we were a 10 minute walk from the beach and so we you know they took us down to the beach like a couple times a week and that I mean the beach is my happy place like I now live in Santa Monica and I'm literally looking out the window at the beach as we're talking so nice. Um, but yeah, so, you know, checking myself in there, I think was one of the most important things I've ever, ever done for myself. Um, and like to say that it was life-changing is like kind of an understatement. Um, you know, and of course I wish I'd done it sooner, but hindsight, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was it after Right. Because now you're you're in this place where, you know, I think what people think of when they think of inpatient is the last case scenario. Right. Like the worst possible rock bottom type of place. And then after that, that's it. You're better. Right. You're just done. And I think that's how people talk about psychiatric hospitalizations. But anyone who's gone through it or has any experience in the field knows that that's actually really not the case and so then not only were you able to then say like okay not only did this not work I'm going to try again but did you feel any pressure after you left the facility in San Diego to almost like I have to feel better instantaneously because I've taken this risk again and I don't know what I'm going to do if it doesn't work type of feeling oh absolutely like actually yes and no so I mean like full disclosure my dad paid for it because that stuff is incredibly expensive Mm -hmm. and not covered by insurance. So like, you know, I didn't want my dad to think that he had wasted all of this money. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I, I mean, also for myself, I didn't want to think that I'd wasted all this time. So, but when I came, I was afraid at the very end that I would come out and I would slip back and it would have all felt like a waste. But when I initially came out, I felt amazing. Like I felt so good. I felt, I felt so good that I felt like, Oh, I'll never feel depressed again. And oh, that's also really cute. That's also mm-hmm. really exactly. cute. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and I, 
that was last April. I went back to New York for six weeks. I moved to California um, six weeks after I left. And, you know, I think when I was back in New York, it was the novelty of being out and then being back in New York and knowing I was leaving and the excitement of moving. And then once I moved, it was the novelty. And once kind of all of that faded, I found myself feeling depressed again, like not even like pretty depressed, just like kind of depressed. Mm. And I was just like, I don't, I just, I I thought I was done with this, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I just didn't, still didn't feel like I was functioning on the level that I wanted to be functioning. Um, I felt like there were still too many days that I was like low energy and wasn't as productive as I wanted to be. So, you know, I was talking to my doctor and I was like, like, this is not okay. Like, you know, I'm just still, I'm not finding joy in things. And that was like a big thing too. And so at the time she suggested that I look into ketamine and in the same conversation, she also suggested that I get a dog. So she had, so you went for it. So I just like full on went for it. She immediately after we got off the phone, she had just gotten a dog. So she texted me a picture of her dog. So I write back, so to review, you want me to look into former club drugs and puppies. Yeah, I'm in it to win it. Right. Let's go. Like, yeah, I, what does joy more than that? You know, throw in some ice cream, right? Like get, do all this while eating ice cream. Exactly. At Disney World. <laughs> Straight, yeah. that's joy. And she was like, yeah, I guess when you put it that way, club drugs and puppies, Theodore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that actually though, you know, because I like that you did call it a club drug because I feel like that's what most people think of when mm-hmm. they think of it. Um, I actually had a client tell me once that they had a family member <laughs> who went through it. And the first, yeah, thank you for those. Like, is that you Yeah. We were in the club, you know? So I actually have to tell you that at first I thought that sound was like you hacking up a long <laughs> 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 But then I'm like, wait, I'm sorry, I see beatboxing. So yeah, then I- no, I, I I caught your vibe, Jarrell. Thank you, I appreciate it. Okay, <laughs> Jarrell, like full disclosure, Jarrell, um, we had to edit out Jarrell like having voice issues, a technical difficulty in a previous podcast. Um, yeah, so I thought really that weird. was what was happening again, and I was just gonna like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't have time for you anymore, Jarrell. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. Oh, so ketamine. Yes, ketamine. <laughs> I, most people think of it as a club drug. Feel free to insert beatboxing here. Um, with the exception of I had a client once tell me that they have a family member who had gone through it and their younger niece or nephew kept calling it keratin. That's very different. <laughs> also very different. But so uh, whether it's club drug or hair strengthening molecule, right? we don't think of it as necessarily a treatment that is like, regularly comes to mind I feel like for most people for mental health conditions Mm -hmm. so were you like totally on board of like yeah I mean if nothing else that sounds like a good time or was it something where you were more hesitant to try another new and novel to you thing that maybe hopefully could possibly help but also maybe not yeah a little bit of both I mean earlier in the year um S-ketamine, which is the nasal spray, was approved by the FDA. And I remember some people telling me about that. And I was like, well, that sounds fun. You can like do a drug as a, like a, a medicine. <laughs> so I, I've been kind of curious about it, but I'd actually been afraid to ask my doctor about it because I thought that she was just think that I just wanted to do drugs. So mm-hmm. um, in some ways I was grateful when she mentioned it. because I was like, okay, it's, it's doctor approved. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, but I was also terrified. I was terrified, like, okay, here's here's this other thing that I might try, and it's also a very expensive treatment. It's I've Mm -hmm. been beyond lucky that I've been able to access the level of care that I have, and like our healthcare system is not fair. Um, Nope, not like in the least. but yeah, no, I was afraid of trying this very expensive treatment 
and it not working and just like being back at square one. Yeah. But it sounds like, you know, you and I've kind of, we've tweeted about this a little bit. Um, it, it sounds like it's been really good for you. Yeah, no, it like, it was absolutely a game changer and like, I hate phrases like that, but it actually was, mm. um, you know, it like, it was kind of like the last piece in the puzzle, mm. I guess, to kind of like make me feel like myself. Like, you know, I felt before that, I felt like way more functional mm-hmm. in society, but I just like still didn't feel like myself. I still wasn't as productive as I wanted to be, which is, I think also just, I'll be a perfectionist forever. Mm. Um, you know, so it really helped me get back to how I wanted to feel. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the one of the pieces about like your experiences that really stands out to me is that through these different ju- at these different junctures, you've tried things, and I think that like that's really hard to do, right? When you're struggling, but at the same time, like sometimes it's just about trying what you can and what you do have access to, and seeing if that is that could be that as you said, like the game changer, because you never know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna probe a little bit. Probe is such a terrible word. Um, I'm gonna dive <laughs> deeper into that a little bit because that is I feel like the one takeaway. And if we were interrupting your story every five seconds, which I didn't want to do because I feel like it's just such a helpful and empowering thing to get all at once but Mm -hmm. the question I would have kept saying is but how did you do that Mm -hmm. how did you do that how did you get out of the psych ward and know that you needed more help and still you know had the energy and the strength to do it well how did you get the strength to try ketamine so rather than just say that 500 times it is exhausting it's exhausting you know I don't claim that anything I ever managed anything as difficult as that but I've had times with chronic pain where I'm like I'm just tired I Mm want to sit here and I just don't care Mm -hmm. I don't care because I'm exhausted there doesn't seem to be a way through it and why even bother and so I can't even imagine how many times you must have felt that how did slash do you continue to overcome that feeling especially after so many things that weren't the game changer. And now I promise we'll stop using that phrase. <laughs> yeah, we can retire now. Yeah, no um, I mean, I guess I think, I think the fact that I only really started struggling with depression in my thirties. So, I mean, I'd spent most of my life as a pretty happy, upbeat, positive person. Mm. So I knew I could feel like that. Like, I think maybe that's the difference between me and maybe people who've struggled their entire lives. Like that's all they know, you know, Mm. but I knew I could feel better because I had, um, and I, yeah. And I think that was just that I just so desperately just wanted to feel good again. And I knew that it was possible even when it didn't always feel that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, really key too and it reminds me of when you said of that you the first time that you had gone to the inpatient psych unit was doing it for your loved ones you know and then moving forward doing it for the hope and the idea of that things have been better and we can get back there it just really speaks to the purpose and the importance of having a why even in just really dark foggy times Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what does it look like now, right? So we've had, I'm going to call it the miracle drug to use another fun cliche instead of game changer. But so what does it look like now? You've gone through all of this. You moved to California, which you're staring at the beach as you're in your apartment, which is just, you just won Mm -hmm. in and of itself. Yeah, Yeah. How do you manage the stability, the improvements, whatever you want to call it that you found, how do you keep that going on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, with the, with the ketamine, so super quick overview of how it works. Like basically you do an initial phase of treatment that's like somewhere between six to eight infusions. It's like IV infusions. Um, and then 
some people do booster infusions after some people are lucky enough that like that's enough um <laughs> pre-pandemic pre-world falling apart i was doing infusions like roughly every six ish weeks mm. um and then i have had a hard time throughout the pandemic so i've been doing them a little bit more frequently like kind of between like three and four weeks um so i mean the ketamine is still a huge part of it therapy is still a huge part of it um my therapist is amazing as you guys know because i tweet about her all the time <laughs> <laughs> and i've actually introduced her her and rachel over email yeah, we've had oh wow okay nice. cool yeah <laughs> good i'm glad to hear that um so yeah, I mean, I still talk to my therapist twice a week, um, which again, I know is also a huge privilege that I can do that. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, and she, you know, she's open to me texting her in between if I need to. And that's really helpful. Um, but I think like another big thing is like actually telling the truth to my family and friends and, you know, not being afraid to tell them how I really feel like mm. I even before I went to treatment I didn't even tell my therapist how I really felt because I was just so afraid that the feelings I had were not valid mm. were I did I shouldn't have been feeling that way whatever but the same friend who when I was in the psych ward thought that I should go to treatment I need to like just listen to her when she says things, but she, right before I went into treatment, she was like, you need to s stop trying to outsmart your therapists. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And then I, that's a good one. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? How does she know? Like, who mm -hmm. does she think she is? She's not sitting in there with me. And then realizing the stuff that I was afraid to say, and then starting to say it, I was like, oh, so that's what Blake meant. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. And like that, she was right. She was right. And that like got me into the places that I was really, really afraid to go, but that I had to go to start feeling better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then realizing that there are people in my life that it's safe to be, I mean, not the same level of open that I would be with a therapist, but there are safe people in my life that I can tell how I really feel. And mm -hmm. that's not everybody, but there's right. people that I yeah. With the ketamine, so hard question time. Maybe it's not that hard of a question. Would you say that that was the thing? And if you had done it earlier, if it was available earlier, then your journey would have been shorter? Or do you think you needed every step you took prior in order to get to that place? Like it was more of, um, it, it built up upon each other. That's a really good question. You should be a therapist or something. Uh, <laughs> I'll look into it. <laughs> um, you know, like I want to answer and say, yeah, I wish I had just like done the ketamine two years ago and hadn't had to go through that. But I think, I don't think I would have gained the insight that I did. And actually when I first brought it up to my therapist that my psychiatrist had suggested it and I was thinking of it she was pretty against it um she I kind of I don't remember now exactly what she said um mm. but I was surprised because I was like well here's this thing that I think might help me mm -hmm. um I think on some level she was afraid that like I would just feel great and wouldn't want to do the work anymore mm. um so, I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of validity to that. So I think, you know, maybe if I had tried it years ago, like I would, wouldn't have gained all the insight that I did going through all the shit that I did. Mm. Yeah. So maybe both. Mm. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Right. You well, also, and this is a little bit of a shameless plug for therapy. I'll put a disclaimer ahead of time, but it sounds like a big piece of what helped you become comfortable with all the treatment you got when you were in crisis mode, let's say, came from already having started a foundation with therapy when you were struggling, but not in full-blown crisis mode. 
So would you say that that was something that was really helpful? And like, I'm, you know, asking a little bit of a leading question because I feel like the answer is yes, but, <laughs> you know, to just have someone else say it instead of just me. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think if I hadn't already been getting some level of mental health treatment, I don't think I would have even thought or would have been comfortable with like the next level of treatment. If mm -hmm. Yeah. Like uh, to, to put it into terms you understand, Rachel, into running terms, I feel like it would like to have gone from like struggling and not being in therapy to inpatient treatment would have been like couch to marathon. Yeah. Which right. people do. Doesn't make it doesn't sense. Go well. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, I'm going to highlight that and just say emphasis and PSA for anybody who's considering it, but doesn't think that they're struggling enough. Just go start. Right. Even yep. if you think, even if you're fine, if you feel great and there's just things that pop up, go because yeah, there, it's never too early at all. Yeah. You know, we're, we're a biased group here, but I <laughs> still, you know, impart that wisdom. Yeah. But since this has been going on, and especially recently, you've been very open about your mental health journey and what the experience has been like for you. Obviously, you're on a podcast right now. You've written about it. You've been on other podcasts about it. What made you want to share? That's a, you know, that's a good question. And I feel like it's changed lately. So I've been thinking a lot about that, but, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I it's pandemic brain. That's what I'm going to blame everything on. Yeah. It's totally it's like pregnancy brain, but for a pandemic. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, I think when I first started feeling this way with anxiety, I guess like eight, eight or nine years ago, I mean, I think at the time I had been reading, others who'd been writing about their anxiety and like just reading that kind of stuff made me feel so much less alone. It made me feel like I wasn't crazy that like, this is a legit thing that people like me deal with. Um, you know, it like started for me, I guess, de-stigmatizing, hmm. um, like dealing with mental health concerns. And I, you know, I wanted to be that for other people. And I've always kind of thought, you know, presenting this perfect facade of yourself on social media helps nobody. Agreed. Yes. What would you want someone to know? You know, you mentioned wanting to be that voice for someone else. So what would be like a bit, a takeaway that you would want someone, if they were going to take away one piece of knowledge or wisdom from everything you've shared in your journey, what would you want them to know? You sent me some of these questions by email and I wrote out some notes and I wrote down like five things, but for, I think one thing is that like your life can look great on the outside. You know, it can look like perfect on Instagram. Um, and you can still be like really deeply struggling. Like in the, you know, the months leading up to the first hospitalization, the first suicide attempt, like I had posted these pictures about this like huge trip I took to South America. And like, you know, on Instagram, that looked amazing. But on the trip, I was still incredibly depressed and mm. like if I look back on the trip I see the pictures but the memories that I have are are like so different from the pictures like mm. I was it looks like I was having so much fun and like I wasn't and then of course I'm beating myself up of like you're on this great trip and you're miserable um mm. so yeah I mean I guess the fact that like just because other people have it harder like we were like saying before doesn't mean that you're not also struggling like I feel like yeah. you know like Kate Spade always comes to mind when I when I talk about this like yeah. you know from the outside she's a household name she had you know this cheery brand this brand built on what looked like happiness mm -hmm. and you know she was obviously struggling mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, which is an important message I feel like we need to hear probably multiple times a day, if I'm being honest, especially now Mm -hmm. that we're all on social media a lot more because of the pandemic and because we're not doing anything else. But before we let you go, we want to pivot to what will be a very fun thing for us to talk to you about. You're now trying to be a therapist. So how did that happen? Why made you want to pivot from writing and journalism and media and all of that to now you're going to be a mental health professional? Yeah. So I, before I got laid off, like I said, I had been like kind of mulling a career change anyway. So I was like, definitely kind of like overdue for a career change. Um, But like in all seriousness, you know, starting with that first therapist I started seeing for anxiety, um, I have had some therapists who have been like really life-changing and life-saving, you know, and so like wanting to be that for someone else. And, you know, through my writing, I've, you know, been really vulnerable and I've been really lucky to connect and to be able to hear stories of other people that are in a similar place. And, you know, I've just, I want, want to be that for someone else. And I think, you know, the fact that I have literally sat where they will be sitting, um, you know, I think will be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. How has that been to learn about some things that you've also experienced or has have there not been that much of a connection up to this point? Oh no, there's been a connection. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, and you know, that's been difficult and there's been a ton of imposter syndrome, which is, I started thinking about this in late 2017. It took me two years to make the decision to actually do it. Um, You know, and all that time thinking like, I'm so depressed. Who do I think I am that I can be this for other people? Um, You know, and like in a lot of like our class discussions and the reading, like, you know, when we're reading about situations involving clients, I'm like, uh, I am that person. And like, Mm -hmm. not even always was like having a lot of those same feelings as I'm reading it. And yeah, wondering still having that imposter syndrome and wondering how I can do that for someone else. So. Yeah. Well, I think it's just important to note that um, for anyone who's interested in this profession, you don't have to, well, this is also just good life feedback too. Like you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to show up right. A certain way. Um, People, there are therapists who have lived experience with mental illness, with hospitalizations, um, and they're great therapists. You know, being a therapist is about skill and you can have that whether or not you've had, whether or not you've been hospitalized, whether or not you've been on antidepressants, whether or not you're on them now. Um, and so I just want people to be encouraged that like you can, if this is the career that you want to go into, you can do it no matter what your experience has been so far. Yeah, I would almost say it's probably helpful to sure. some extent, you know, you have the whole balance and you don't want to obviously ever make a session about you, but I feel like knowing what it's been like to be in the other end of the spectrum in terms of the opposite chair in the room mm-hmm. is probably helpful. Mm-hmm. I yeah. always, you know, think that there's a lot of value in talking to someone who gets it. Not to say, and this is the flip side is, of course, not to say that somebody has to have the same lived experience as you in order to be able to support you, but right. there is a lot of benefit in someone who gets it. Yeah. Like an extra tool in your toolbox. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite class been so far? This one's just for me. I just want to know. <laughs> um, right now, we're doing a class that's the process of therapy. And that's the class where we're doing the role playing. Um, the first quarter, what we were learning was a lot more like theoretical and so felt more abstract to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said to my therapist at the beginning of this quarter, I'm like, oh, it feels feels real now. And she's like, did you feel like you were kind of playing school before? And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like this fact that we're doing role plays, like 
makes it feel a lot more real that this is what I'm going to do. So it's been, it's been fun. I mean, it's been scary, scary as hell to be like, Oh, am I going to do this? But Mm -hmm. it's already been really rewarding. Awesome. Yeah. And you have already, you know, if you can make it through remote learning and doing this and in the middle of the pandemic, I feel like you're, you're good. Mm-hmm. You'll be okay. Everything else has got to seem at least a little bit easier after that, right? It's true. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what we're all telling ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But either way, you know, we think you'll obviously be amazing. And it's actually been so exciting to see your journey. And I am totally. very excited for when you're an official licensed therapist with us also. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. See, it, comes, it creeps up on you. It'll happen before you know it. Grad school like flies by, even if it in the moment feels like it's a slow, painful crawl up a massive peak. Yeah, right. no, no, that's a good point. Like I'm already halfway through my first year, but like when I read stuff about like needing three thousand hours to be licensed, I'm like, I will. This is never gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it does go by quicker than you think, for sure. Yeah, but- yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story and being open and vulnerable and honest as always. I feel like the world just needs so much more of that. And Mm -hmm. so thank you for being that voice, especially on social media. I can't emphasize that enough. It's Mm -hmm. just amazing to hear somebody be so open and honest about who they are and what they've gone through and have emphasized the like, hey, this isn't perfect. This is messy, but you're probably messy too. So let's just all be messy and it's fine. Mm -hmm. And thank you to everyone who joined us to listen in. We appreciate you spending some of your quarantine hours with us. Feel free to check out other episodes. And if you'd like to connect further, you can find us at Viva Wellness NYC. And Theodora, how can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Theodorable or my blog is PreppyRunner.com. Which an Instagram name. That's the best handles. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And if your name can be a pun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) So thank you again for listening in. Please leave us a rating and review. If you like the episode, if you didn't like the episode, you know, give us five stars anyway and just rant to your friends later. It's okay. (laughs) It'll consider it a good deed. And we hope that you will join us next time. Bye.